everyone, and welcome to part two of our best books of 2020 podcast. And I'm joined once again by Vicky Riley. Hello, Vicky. Hello. <laughs> and we are in the last podcast, we did books one to six. So if my maths is correct, we're going to get to book number seven. What is the seventh book on your list? Well, seeing as you were talking about crime in the last uh, that was your last book in the first podcast I thought why don't we carry that on why don't we carry that on so my next choice is the McIlvany prize winning Pine by Francine Toon you know every year there's a book that you think ah I mean to mean to read that I mean to read that and that's mine it's been sitting on my to be read pile for far too long so (laughs) I'm interested to hear what you think about it well, again, it was another book that I listened to rather than read, um, and it was, fair, it was fairly recently um, as, as well. Um, it's, it's for a for a crime book. It's a very different kind of crime book, right. in, in the fact that, I mean, there is a crime in it, but there is it's not really about the crime, <laughs> and it's not, and so it doesn't feel like it is a crime book in in a weird sort of way. Like I've kind I've decided that what it is, is Highland Gothic. If we can have Southern Gothic, we can have Highland Gothic. And I think that, that's, that's kind of what Pine is. So really it's, it's about this family, this, this young, it's told mainly through um, the eyes of a young girl and um, her mother disappeared years and Well, it's not clear, she left, she's gone. It's not clear whether she disappeared, she left, whatever, because her dad just does not talk about it. It's like one of those family secret things that's just bubbling there in the past. And um, so she she lives quite uncomfortably with her dad who has has himself has a little bit of an issue with drink, has a definite issue with keeping his feelings and emotions locked up and being secretive and... And so it's a, it's it's about the world through her eyes, and um, and the, the 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 village that she lives in, um, and and uh, and so you, it's just really it's kind of like there's a sort of twin peaksian element to it, but it's really about um, it's really atmospheric and and uh, it's really about how everybody sort of interacts. With people there's an element of the supernatural to it as well because characters start to see they feel like they're seeing this woman who might or might not be the mum mm-hmm. and and um and then later on in the book a, y- a young girl who babysits for 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 the main character go- whose name I've completely forgotten and my lockdown memory has kicked in and I've completely forgotten the main character's name um she disappears um, and she disappears just as she's been in the car with the young girl's dad as well. So there's always an element throughout that there's something not quite right with the dad and there's something not quite right with the community as well. And so we just follow the community as it comes to ter- tries to find this young girl who's gone missing and deals with their own sort of strange struggles with the landscape around them and their own family dynamics um yeah it was was so so what it's not your typical crime book at all and i've found that quite a lot with 
um, I've not, I've, I haven't actually read a lot of crime this year in comparison to other years, but of the crime that I have read or listened to this year, there has been that, that strong theme of gothic and supernatural quality to it. Um, um, I found it very much reminded me of Helen Sedgwick's first crime book, The When the Dead Come Calling. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> And um, C.J. Cook's The Nesting as well, which is um, very similar in that there's family secrets and, the, and, and it feels like um, that, the, that the area itself, is there, there's, some, there's like a yeah. spirit to the that's area yeah. that's affecting the, the, the community. So I'm wondering if this is like this, maybe this Highlands Gothic, this like crime gothic is is where we're all going to where we're all heading at the moment well i think this would be a good time to take a slight detour and talk about um, crime fiction this year because i agree with you it's been an incredible year very varied year um very quickly you mentioned helen sedgwick's um when the dead come calling um which i think is set in north of england um but yeah. as you say it's got that real weird um, is the land kind of affecting people? What's going on? And, and there's a follow-up to come, I'm fairly sure. I think that's right. Um, yeah, which I cannot wait for. Hopefully it's a series. Yeah, Helen is a great writer anyway, but this, um, uh, I just loved this, absolutely devoured it. Um, great characters, but really eerie sense of... Eerie, felt, that's exactly the right word. It felt like something that uh, you might have appeared on telly in the 70s um, with kids that was, you know, like they were disappearing, you know, a really odd thing, but. I yeah, you could hear the sort of spooky wind chimes and, and things like that um, in the background of while you were reading it. I'm going to quickly mention some other crime books that uh, came out uh, last year, which um, were fantastic. Talking of series, a series that goes from strength to strength is Alan Parks. And this was Bobby March Will Live Forever. So he's mm -hmm. done his January and February. This is March. April, I believe, is coming very soon. Yeah. And, you know, it'll go in the way. I, I don't want to go into too much detail because, you know, we would be here all night. But um, <laughs> if you like, I think we're going to be, Al. It's all right. <laughs> uh, if you like a grim and gritty Glaswegian uh, crime novels set in the 70s, then you will adore the whole lot of those books. They're fantastic. Yeah, I like the, the the little rock and roll element to to that the, to Bobby March as well. It's kind of it kind of it just hinted at that sort of Rolling Stones, Graham Parsons kind of relationship. Right. There's a, a guitar player who comes to yeah. an end who had uh, been touted as the best guitar player who never quite made it and could have been could have been a contender if it wasn't for his love of drinking drugs and, you know, comes to an untimely death in Central Station, of course, in Central Station. <laughs> Someone else who I think is going from strength to strength um, and has moved to Arenda Books, seem to have done that, is Doug Johnson, who had two, came out this year, A Dark Matter and The Big Chill, and it's the Skelf family, the brilliantly named Skelf family, who are three generations of women who are, I mean, it sounds crazy when I say it out loud, but they run a cemetery and they're also detectives and, uh, and solve crimes and do all that kind of thing. But it really works. Regular people will know how much I love Doug's writing, but I think these are the best things he's ever done. I really do. 
I've got the big chill uh, over on my couch there. Uh, I really want to read the, these ones. I've not got around to it yet because I remember him, but maybe it was last year or the year before, saying that he was a writer in residence at a funeral home. Ah. And, um, and this is probably how and where these books have come from. And I just thought, how amazing is that, being a writer in residence at a funeral home? I, I, I just, how, what does that entail? <laughs> And what did he find out? I'm, I'm so curious about that. <laughs> well, I'll read the books because then I'll tell you. And if yeah. half the things are right, then uh, it's uh, some business to be in. Alan Spence, well, he, he was involved in, in the funeral business, I remember. I seem to remember. <laughs> um, other books which are part of fantastic series, which continue, Claire McCleary's Payback, which is the uh, latest in the uh, Wilma and Big Maggie uh, series of books again that came out in march time and so you just think that it didn't get it didn't get the attention that it deserved no. because we were all worried about covid instead i would hope by this point that if you have read one of claire's books you'll be you you won't want to stop there and you want to read them all um similarly with olga olga vochas and miss blaine's prefect and the vampire menace which you could say is gothic in its own way, but it's just... <laughs> Comedy gothic. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I love Olga's book. We had a podcast with her, Olga as well. And uh, yeah, fantastic. And Douglas Skelton uh, continues to go strong, one of our favourites. And it's the Rebecca Connolly thrillers. And that is in the north. Yes. See, I've not read The Blood is Still, but I've read um, Thunder Bay. And again, there was that sort of element of... The landscape infecting the community a little bit. Does that happen in the second one as this well? City-based, as in it's more. Right. But I well actually now that you say that there is the moors of Culloden and uh, right. that play a big part in it. And you know what might have been, have gone on there and what might still go on there. Right. Quite, I would say that it felt quite Ian. Where is he? Felt quite Ian Banks like the blood oh, is right. still and that's a high high compliment. I really yeah. Mean. Um. So yeah, that was kind of my year in, in crime, um, but uh, a very good one. Um, there were other books as well. Morgan Cry's um, Costa del Crime Thriller was a good one to read. And there were others too, but they were my highlights, I would suggest. But what, what is your next choice though? My next choice is perhaps the breakthrough writer for this year. And it's Graham Armstrong and the Young Team. That's the third debut we've talked about today. Well, I mean, how, how great is that? And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, and uh, again, another podcast guest. If I like your book, basically, I'll ask you to come and talk to me. That's <laughs> but uh, it's an astonishing book. It really is. And I would say this is a book for me that gets the language and the voice right, right from the opening sentence and carries it through. It's beautifully written. Um, writing dialect uh is very difficult. Uh, very yeah. difficult to get right, and he makes it feel effortless. Um, it's very violent. Um, it's basically yeah. set on his own uh, kind of past. He, he would tell you that in uh, Airdrie and that area, um, running with the young teens, the gangs, and the difficulty in getting out of there. There's a lot of um, drink. There's a lot of drugs. There's quite a bit of a uh, happy hardcore and uh, <laughs> you know dancing as well. They're some of the best scenes, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely, totally. I knew you would pick this, so that's why I didn't pick this. <laughs> yeah, I have to. It's a it's a fantastic debut, and you know you were saying earlier on. I can't wait to see what they do next. 
talking about Shuggy Bain yeah. and Douglas Stewart. Oh, I cannot wait to see what Graham Armstrong does. Yeah. Well, that was what that that was one of my favourite of your podcasts this year. He was such a brilliant guest. Yeah. I, I I just I loved the way he talked about how how he wrote the book and yeah, it was it was uh, so brilliantly done, so brilliantly done. And if anyone wanted to hear, I mean, be inspired really about sticking at it as a writer. Um, in fact, both Douglas Stewart and Graham Armstrong talk uh, about how keeping at it and sticking at it and don't let this, I mean, Graham says there was no plan B, this is what I was <laughs> going to do, and that was it. And uh, yeah, it's a, I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, it was just inspired by this fantastic book. So that's The Young Team by Graham Armstrong, which came out on Picador. Yeah, it's very visceral, very, oh, yeah. it was, yeah, the, I mean, the, the cycle of violence that continues all through it. And, but the, the saying that, see, saying that it's very violent and very dark, and it is, but there is a lot of humour in it too. It's not unremittingly dark. Um, like, the, as you say, the rave scenes are brilliant. They're so well done. And just the camaraderie between the young team as well. It really shows how that, how getting involved in gangs and being part of that world would be so uh, attractive to, to young guys who probably don't see that much of a, a different kind of future for themselves. But, and, but, you get, but you get that sense of being in a gang, be, being amongst pals and you're all, you're all sort of fighting and, and living for each other. It's, it's um, it was uh, yeah, really loved it as well. And going back to the book we talked about um, last time, Blessed Assurance by Stuart Ennis, mm. it does capture that those kind of fears and hopes and dangers yeah. uh, of, of youth. You know, you you join the wrong gang, or you make a wrong turn in the street, or you know you miss your footing doing something stupid, and it it, it likewise captures all of that stuff. Um, very recognisable, even if you weren't involved as directly as uh, Graham was. Uh, oh yeah, I was totally. It took me back to my school days completely. Absolutely. Just um, even though I wasn't in a gang, but it just hearing that 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 um, that chat going on in the playground and and yeah, it was so so recognisable. Okay, now we're on to your eighth choice, I believe. Eighth choice. Eighth choice. What have I got? What have I got? What have I not spoken? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about an author right now rather than a book okay. because I want to, to celebrate somebody who had a very uh, creative and lovely lockdown despite not bringing out anything new. And that person is David Ross, okay. who, who, who just seems to know how to do lockdown right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I we don't can't know if this is... talk about his latest one because I've read it. So oh, have you read it? See, I've got, I've got it, I've got it. We'll wait but it doesn't come out to next uh, month, but we can maybe have a wee chat about it. Yes, fantastic. So what yeah. was it about David's lockdown that really uh, uh, appealed to you so much? Well, I mean, when it, when we, when lockdown first happened, there was, I mean, I was part of it working in, in the publishing industry, that very sort of real sense as to how do we talk about books? What do we do when everything's shut? And oh my God, and, and, and all we can do is be online and oh, and, um, and I don't know if, if he had planned this 
with Into Creative before lockdown or whatever, but he had a very, very simple but effective thing of hosting like um, small, um, a read-along of, of one of his books, not even his latest book. It was, um, it was his last day of Disco's his first book. No. Or, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused myself. Carry on, I'll check. <laughs> I think it was la- I think think last day of Disco, wasn't it? Yeah. That's yeah, uh-huh. of course it was. Last day's yeah. first book. So he, I mean, he just did this really simple thing where he read for a rabbit about. He did about what was it? Maybe 30, 40 episodes, where he read his book in a one hour, um, from start to finish. But he did it in such a way. He worked with into creative. I'm, I'm, I'm. I mean, maybe you know them more yeah, than I do. Stephen Cameron is basically into creative and uh, uh-huh. does some great stuff. I mean, they they've been doing some amazing stuff, putting out yeah. radio shows, doing spoken reviews, doing uh, the the stuff with David, and even uh, the theatre production as well. Yeah. And um, and so like they melded just David sitting in his house reading the book, but they melded it with like music and visuals so that it made it seem like more of an event. And um, you could watch and he, he sort of he posted a new episode every day for a wee while, but they're all still on YouTube if you want to watch them. But there were particular chapters where he did a little something different. And you were part of it too. I think, was it chapter 19, Dispatching? They asked people to read the letters from the brother being sent back home. The brother's in the Falklands, going out to the Falklands. Yeah. And then, you know, the letters get more serious as they go along. And David had various uh, people and who he knew to read out the letters, um, which I think worked very, very well. Oh, it was such an emotional episode. It was it was really really good, and I mean even to was it Teresa Talbot that was the the last one, and she ended up getting quite emotional while she was doing the reading, and it was just I just thought it was such a brilliantly simple way to 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 to, to do your book in a sort of lockdown online way, and then that wasn't even the only thing that he did. He he ended up he was doing uh, an adaptation of one of his other books, the Miraculous Vespers. Vespers. That was the one I thought was first, but of course that's the second one of the trilogy. That second one, and um, so there was a an adaptation of it for theatre, and I, I think was it going to was it originally going to be performed in a proper theatre in a proper way? Well, I can't remember. I guess it probably was. Yeah, but instead, what they did was adapted it. They adapted it into a theatrical experience, but through Zoom, and it was so well done. It was just, it was, it was so brilliant to watch. I mean, they really like, really adapted it. They like, they really like shoved it down to its essence. But it was so good. The performances were amazing. The story was amazing, and I just thought, what a great way to to rethink how we do books and how we do events and how we do these things when circumstances like lockdown come about. And I have no doubt that if anything else was to befall <laughs> the world, he would probably be right there thinking of a, of, a, of a different way to do it. David, one, he never panics and he will always come up with something different and a new way of doing it. And he was actually started writing in the first place. He started posting little things on Twitter and then that got collected and you know he just is one of these people that um, he never sees a problem as something that can't be solved so he'll say oh well how can we do this and in a 
as you say, is lovely in that he involves other people in that. And uh, yeah. as does Stephen Cameron, who does into creative. So it was a really good partnership that way, yeah. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to reading his new one, Danny Garvey. Yeah, there's which only is one Danny Garvey, um, which is it's a brilliant book. Uh, absolutely brilliant. It's really... It's more serious than previous ones. Oh, right, okay. Kind of laugh out loud, funny nature of uh, David's books previously. There's, there's still lots of funny lines in it. You know, that, that's the way he writes. But, uh, yeah, <coughs> excuse me, it's much more serious. Um, but kind of almost all the better for it. It's very emotional again. Um, I wouldn't give away too much about it. But when we're talking next year, I'm sure we'll be talking about this. <laughs> Okay, well, that wouldn't be a best off roundup of recent years if I didn't talk about David Keenan. Ah! The cult of David Keenan. Extabeth is his latest. Uh, it only came out fairly recently, yeah. And a. <coughs> I'm going to have to take a wee drink here. <laughs> See, again, this is a book that I knew that you would pick, so I didn't pick it, but it would totally have been in my top you know, 10. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a review of it um, for Snack Magazine, and the first line was, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect this. And I think <laughs> that kind of sums it up. You never second guess uh, David Keenan. Of course you can't. We should know that by now. But um, this is a quite astonishing undertaking. It's almost, uh, it's not stream of consciousness. It's not like that at all. But he says himself, I want to take the writer out of the book or whatever. And... You know, there's a, it's mainly set in Russia, but then there's bits in St. Andrews. Um, there's, it's sex and jazz and uh, golf. It's kind of- Golf, I mean, golf. <laughs> but, but one of the most amazing scenes to me is his depiction of the golf swing of this golfer. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it almost brought me to tears. And it's, it's describing a golf swing for goodness sake. But that's, I mean, I think, David Keenan's proven himself to be one of the most talented writers, full stop. I mean, I just think he is uh, quite astonishing. Um, yeah. a, a, he, he's extreme in many ways, uh, but never for the sake of it. I never get the feeling it's for the sake of it. It reminds me of uh, reading Kathy Acker or something when I was younger, which again was quite extreme, but you understood why there was a reason for it. And that's what I get with David Keenan. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, it's like, have you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I read it all in a one in one sitting, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of reading it and I was like, I was going through it so fast and I was like, oh, I'm going through it too fast. I'm probably not getting it all. But then I just, I couldn't help but finish it. No, it's it's like, it's sort of, um, it's, it's very dreamlike. It's exactly. so... So even though it's not stream of consciousness, it doesn't feel real, but it does feel real. Um, it's exactly that way that you're saying how you read it in one go, you didn't really want to, but you almost can't help yourself. Yeah. Being drawn into the next sentence and into the next bit. And um, it, it moves along a pace, which is, you end up in slightly in a dream. Because it, you're stuck, it stayed with me for days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just, it's, it's, because the sentences makes like all the sentences make sense yeah. as sentences in a way that some stream of consciousness books don't. <laughs> but at the same time, it's got it's got that sort of 
I mean, I don't know if you do, but I dream very vividly as well. I have a whole dream world where, which is recognisable. And when I'm in it, I know where everything else is in, in relation to that. And so it feels both very real, but totally unreal as well. And that's, that's how I felt reading this book. I think, like, I think that's kind of similar to maybe what he is doing, creating a fictional world where people come and go and if they arrive, he's surprised to see them or he's delighted to see them because he didn't expect that they would turn up. I mean, he's kind of mentioned that kind of thing to me uh, previously. Um, it, it's a shame that it's so short in a way because you're through it and you go, well, I could have done with more of that. I could have done with a lot more of that. Apparently his next book is going to be massive. <laughs> Uh, I hear from his publisher that that is the case, you know, right. uh, but I can't wait for it. And uh, yeah, I just can't imagine him ever disappointing me uh, as, a, as a writer. I mean, he did, he would do it in a very interesting and way. Yeah, because even for such a slim book, there's a it packs a lot in. Like if if we like we've 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 both probably just read it once now. But if you, I think it, I think I think it'll be a book that rewards with rereading each time. Definitely, uh, I think you'll probably get something new. And I mean, we've not even talked about just the exuberance. I don't know how he manages to create energy on a page. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, it's going to, this is all going to sound like you know, the ravings of mad people. I know, I know. It's like the, the book vibrates in your hand. There's so much kind of packed into it. You know, it's, it's a kind of ticking time bomb of a book, uh, a, like a living, breathing thing, almost. And, you know, you might think, what are you talking about, Braidwood? But if you read my review, that's the kind of stuff that you get into. It's like, it, it's, it's different for me. It's different from anyone else I can think of in the way that he writes. Yeah, def definitely. And um, what was I going to say? What was my train of thought? And just what I really is, is so unselfconscious as well. Uh, you just. It's an unselfconscious stream of conscious, which I really. But I like the fact is like, when, I'm, when I mean unselfconscious, I mean unafraid. There's yeah. just there's a fearlessness to it that um, I really, really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, I th I, so I, I, I yeah. Well done. <laughs> Absolutely. Well done, David Keenan. What a man he is. Okay, we're on to the ninth uh, choice, I believe. Okay, I'm going to go off into a completely different tangent and talk about nature writing. <laughs> ah, well, a bit like Scottish sci-fi and Highland Gothic, nature writing is really having a moment, I think. Yeah, well, it's just see, this is the thing, though. Scottish nature writing has been having a moment for a long, long yeah, time. Has, I but guess it's just... It's just people haven't really been talking about it, um, which is straight. Like everybody bangs on about, you know, Tartan Noir. Scotland is famous for its crime writers, when really the nature writers have been there for a long time too, just doing it and doing it in a really inspirational kind of way. So the book that sort of brings this to a head for me in 2020 is Antlers of Water, which is a nature writing anthology edited by Kathleen Jamie. And really she had, what, what she's done is she's had essays written by all the sort of the Scottish writers from the last few years who have been the ones at the forefront of bringing Scottish nature writing to a bigger audience. Um, 
because nature nature writing has been for maybe in the last I don't know maybe five years has had a particular renaissance in a way that um, it didn't used to have like nature writing probably used to be seen as like this worthy quite academic quite dry subject where folk just talk about you know the chlorophyll and leaves or something like that I have no idea whereas now nature writing it it's it's about the personal relationships that we have with the landscape around us whether urban or rural or and animals and all that kind of thing and that's what this anthology does brilliantly do you think in that's partly down to the rediscovery and the, the celebration of nan shepherd in the last 10 years you know could be could be, could be, yeah, because that's I mean, exactly what she does, I think, or she did, was you know the the relationship, the physical, the psychological relationship between the land and uh, and the individual, and, and the sexual relationship as well, like just it it because what the nature writing seems to be doing now is what it's about. I mean, I think Kathleen Jamie said this in the Damien Barr show, like it's about noticing, it's about feeling the moment that you're in with nature around you and that's what the living mountain is completely about I mean I can't believe there can't be very many people in this world that haven't read the living mountain now and if they haven't then they should <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but you're right there's been a lot of people I mean I kind of often thought of it with mostly with poets like Jim Crummy and folk like that who but it does seem that there's been more essays and actual bits of um, kind of uh, fiction and non-fiction because it is like poetry the nature writing yeah. that, that's coming out that it is about noticing it is about moments it is about detail and and then and then bringing that out into a, the larger sense of you know you know our personal relationship to the landscape but also then you know society's relationship with the landscape and which you know considering we've been talking about Martin McInnes's book and Vicky Jarrett's book is something that's um, it's, it's completely vital at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, the environmental aspect of it's a huge thing, I think, and I, increasingly I think that's why people are turning to writing nature writing to try and understand yeah. it better. I mean, it's not a, it's, again, it's not a genre that I would naturally go towards being a bit of a city gal. <laughs> I'm not, I can't name any tree for you, but but when I do sit down and read nature writing, I really, really love it because it just—I don't. Maybe it is that sort of that sort of relationship with the senses that come that's apparent in 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 nature writing. Well, a book which isn't exactly nature writing, but certainly um, has similar kind of themes in a way is Peter Ross's *A Tomb of You*. Just absolutely adore this book. Um, if you haven't uh, don't know about it, it's basically Peter um, took to walking around his kind of local cemetery and then discovered that there were stories and mysteries on the stones uh, or behind the stones that were there and decided in a very Peter Ross way that, you know, I'm going to expand this out and eventually went around all around um, uh, the UK and Ireland to various uh, cemeteries to do just that, to speak to the people who kind of congregate there, who find a home there, for want of a better word, um, to do, discover stories about those buried there, um, the history of the places themselves, and um, why some people find comfort in places like that. Um, 
again, it's all about the individuals. It's all about the people. It's not just a guide to my favourite graveyards. It's it's so much more than that. Um, I Peter Ross is one of my favourite writers. I just love what he writes. I think this is his best book. Uh, yeah. Because there's a the focus that it has. Previously, um, there were kind of collections of essays or that he'd written for newspapers or things like that, and they're excellent. But this to have this focus and to have it allowed his ability to empathise with people and ask the right questions and more importantly listen properly to the answers, which he does better than I think anyone else. Um, because often when people are in graveyards or even thinking about them, they are very, very vulnerable and there mm. are very moving parts in this. There are also very funny parts in it, you know, selling Karl Marx uh, scone cutters down in Highgate <laughs> Cemetery and things like that. And, and him going to the guy, do you think Karl Marx would have approved of this? Oh, yes. You know. <laughs> but, um, it's, such, it's such a great book. Uh, and you'll, if you don't know Peter Ross's writing, then you'll, I would start with this and you'll want yeah. to read everything else that he's done. He just loves his writing. Again, you know, like what I was saying about Edwin Morgan earlier is that he seems to be somebody that likes people. Oh, very much so. That's the same with Peter Ross. Like he never, there's such a lack of judgment in, in his writing, whether it's, you know, when he's interviewing celebrities or famous people or like ordinary people. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I can't wait to read that book. That is definitely on my um, to-do list. And it also makes, makes me want to go and visit graveyards as well. I mean, I used to play in graveyards a lot when I was wee because I had one right right beside my, my house. Um, we even we even built a treehouse in a graveyard. So I don't know if you're really allowed to do that, but we... <laughs> it depends where you got the wood from, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> It even had a fireman's like we we because when we where we lived uh, it was still getting built and so there was we we got one of those scaffolding poles as well so that it became we had like a sort of fireman's pole if you wanted to get down the tree quicker. <laughs> that definitely doesn't sound right. <laughs> but in some ways, it's quite a reflective. Well, not in many ways, it's a reflective book. But what something I hadn't considered is that a lot of the. Um, city cemeteries that were built uh, um, in Victorian times are either full or getting full, and uh, mm. uh, yeah, and it's 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 almost about something that's no longer, or certainly no longer in its prime. But um, yeah, it's a, a, a such a wonderful book, and as you say, such a warm and um, human book. Uh, okay, no, well, tenth choice. Sorry, Vicky. Yeah. Right, your oh. <laughs> near the end man um, oh, so my, <laughs> my final choice um is i don't have a copy of it but again because i've lent it to my mum <laughs> so <laughs> it's scabby queen by kirsten innes so we, we, um, when we were deciding what books to to talk about um we kind of went, yeah, it's okay, you can have that one and you can have that one but this is the one that we were almost fought over to have in our list because we both Absolutely <laughs> love it, and I won. Of course, <laughs> threatened me. I did. I threatened you with an arm wrestle, which I don't know what we would, how we would do a over Zoom. A virtual arm wrestle. <laughs> right. So, before, why do you love the fantastic Scabby Queen so much? Well, I think out of if, when, again when, when I was saying how Shuggy Bane was my uh, favourite book of the year, I mean it just pipped Scabby mm. Queen to the post, like. 
Um, I, I just absolutely love Skip. Again, like Regina Porter's um, The Travellers, it's just the kind of book that I love. Like, I, I mean, I love all kinds of books, but big, baggy, multi-voice uh, books just, I don't know why, but they, those are the books that just, when I start reading them, it's just like getting into a warm bath or something like that. It's just like, oh, this is this is it. This is the stuff. And Scabby Queen is is absolutely that kind of book so I mean even though it's 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 written it's not written in first person but you do get a sense of everybody's character and everybody's individual self in it so it's a book if you don't know it's it starts off um with the suicide of a woman called Cleo Campbell who was a bit of a one-hit wonder in the 90s with a politically inspired pop song called Rise Up. And so the rest of the book is really different people who she interacted with throughout her life and their experience of having Cleo Campbell in their life. Um, and, it, and, it, and it starts, I mean, it, t- it, goes re- it really goes from sort of the late 70s all the way to the present day, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and you get you get to know her family. You get to know various men that she was involved with. You get to know she was a very politically active person. So all the various people that were involved with her political activism, and all these sort of um, uh, um, histories bind together to give you or not give you a picture of who Cleo Campbell is or was, and it's just it's just done so superbly. So again, such energy in it as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a book where the voices really bounce off the page. So and you're like chatting to them. Yeah, there's lots of different points of view, lots of different people's stories. And to have multiple characters and to make them all stand out in that way is, is uh, incredible, really. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this um, enigmatic character at the centre of it who... Um, you can understand kind of delights and then disappoints and all the things that you, 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 start, so. understand, you start to <laughs> understand the reasons behind, because as you say, you get the family history and the fallouts and then you get um, to see how she was taken advantage of, but then in turn, perhaps she took advantage of others, very human and believable um, characters and a, ah, I'm talking about a page turner. Yeah. I mean, this is not a small book. But I pretty much sat up and read that all in one go as well, because you just wanted to know more. Um, Kirsten Innes, we know, is a fantastic writer, but this is is something else, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, um, like because it's so energetic, and because like the, the you do feel like you're just sitting in a room with all these different people. You sometimes you, you might be forgiven for thinking that you miss all the ideas in it and all the sort of and the the political points that that Kirsten Innes is trying to make and about you know about the relationship between men and women and the patriarchy and politics and class and 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 family and where and where strength comes from and the compromises that you make throughout your life and what it means to be a happy person and. Like, but it's full of all that, those kinds of ideas and full of all those observations. But because it just is, has such energy and zips along, you just kind of receive these ideas without even knowing that you're receiving them. But it's never heavy handed. You never feel no, not at all. around the head with, uh, you know, political points or, or no. anything like that. You just don't. 
because that's what life's like. People's politics are in their selves, in their being, their actions. And a lot of it is about the actions and reactions to uh, Cleo, I think. Yeah. And so many moments just break your heart. And yeah, it's, 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 another, it's another one that is very visceral in its emotional um, uh, connection with you as a reader as well. <laughs> Well, my final book is a little small one, but uh, packed full of interest. It's Laura Waddle's uh, Exit, um, which came out on uh, Bloomsbury. It's part of their object lessons. I see, I, again, it came out of uh, nowhere, really. I had no idea that she had written it and uh, got it through the post. And it's just so smart. It takes the idea of exit, whatever that might be, and a... Uh, looks at it from just every angle, very different angles. I said uh, when I reviewed it, that it's the only book I've ever read that's got the cultural policy of the Nazis and Sesame Street in the same book. And, uh, you know, it's not just about the exit sign, as you might think about looking at that. It's just about all different. Um, and it's, it's philosophical, it's political, it's, it's social questions. Um, it's the final chapters, which are little, almost kind of haikus. Uh, it's just one of the best bits of writing I've read all year. And I have often, as you can see with these little notes, been going back into it and reading it again and again, um, because there's always something new to take out of it. It's kind of, I think last year we talked, um, oh, the book, uh, the political Constitution Street, all right, uh-huh. Yeah. And it's got a similar feel to that in that it's almost a practical element that you could um, read it like the Constitution of Human Rights and you could see what's right and what's wrong and what maybe you could do differently. And I think that's what Exit has as well. You can read it and you could... Um, uh, you could, some people dismiss some of it. You could learn from some of it. You could think about what you mean um, there's uh, allusions to exits in literature and in films and, and all of that kind of stuff. It, for one word, exit, she packs a whole load of ideas into it. Um, yeah, it's, it's more of a, a exit. It's, and, such, a, and, it's such a brilliant idea for a series of books to just take a concept and run with it in any way that you can. You can just sort of go on a little investigative journey and and. It's, it kind of reminds you of um, why Montaigne decided to write to, to sort of invent the essay form. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a great reminder of what essays can do and should do. And I think sometimes that, as you say, that does get forgotten a little bit, but uh, they should make you think, they should challenge you and they should make you look at the world in a different way. And that's what uh, Exit does. It did for me anyway. Well, we have done 10 books each. <laughs> and it's only taken almost two podcasts worth to do. <laughs> I did say before we start that we could have some any other business. So is there something else that you particularly want to discuss? Well, I, I mean, there there are books that are still that from this year that I've not managed to get rounds to yet. And so I just want to give them a little shout out just in case folk are watching this before Christmas and, you know, they're wanting some recommendations. So what a very lovely book that um, came out this year is Lachlan Gowdy's The Story of Scottish Art. 
another podcast guest, I have to say. Scully yes, Scott. that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is a beautiful book. It's so good. And um, I can't wait to get stuck into it because, you know, like if I was a, if I was a gazillionaire, I would probably do lots of degrees. I would probably just go back to uni and just do degree after degree after degree. And I think one of them would be art history, just because just to give you that space to really, really just delve deep into the story of, of, of how history has progressed through the years. And this book just does that for Scotland. And, um, and the interesting thing is like, you don't, most people don't really think of Scotland as the center of where art happens really. <laughs> you know, you, like, you know, it's like Paris and, and, and Venice and all these kinds of things. And, and so it's just brilliant to see a book which will put Scottish painting and Scottish art in those contexts and say, actually, yeah, we were we were doing this art at this time and influenced by that. And yeah, I can't, I can't wait to, to get stuck into that in the Christmas holidays. <laughs> oh, it's a fabulous book. Um, it is one that you wouldn't, I don't think you would sit and read cover to cover. You might if you were really into your art. But um, <laughs> if you want a book to just sit either at the side of your bed or the side of your chair and just, you know, read a bit at a time. So informative. Lachlan clearly knows his stuff inside out. I think we know that from his television work. And yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's it's really gorgeous, really gorgeous. And the other, the other sort of Christmas project that I, I have <laughs> is that even though I have, like, so this year, Ali Smith... Um, finished her quartet her seasonal quartet and I have read autumn and winter um, but I've decided that now all four of them are out I'm going to read all four of them in a winter <laughs> and just and sort of have that sort of more that connected aspect to reading them all in that way because you know when you when you read when you read them as they come out you've read like a squillion books in between yeah. so you sort of lose the connection. So that's what I've decided that I'm gonna read the quartet as a whole and 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 and, and see where that takes me as well. <laughs> well that'll be we'll see you in the new year then basically. <laughs> I, I wanted to make a mention of a book which I am reading at the moment, but I have not quite finished. But I have a feeling that if I had finished it, it could have made my 10 and it's Andrew Hagen's Mayfly. Ah, yeah, I've got that one. Well, it's absolutely um, a perfect for myself because <laughs> Andrew, I think, is about the same age as me. Maybe might be a bit younger. Maybe a bit older. Well, I don't know. But anyway, uh, this would be the uh, uh, friendships formed in the early 80s, going to see bands. There's a whole scene where they go to see the shop assistants in Manchester. I mean, that was a dream gig to me. And, uh, and then... Uh, they, it's, so it's about the friendships formed in the formative years and then latterly, well, I won't give anything away, but how that friendship can be a strength, but also sadness uh, in later years. Um, like a lot of Andrew's fiction, I would say most of it, it's very closely based on his own life. Um, and But, you know, he writes like an absolute dream. Yeah, uh, I, I watched a few of his events um on in publication so i watched his creative conversation event and i watched his edinburgh book festival event and he 
he I don't he I could listen to him talk about books and writing and his and his work for hours and hours and hours. He's always so so engaging. <laughs> um, another book which came out just recently, but I haven't read yet, and it came comes with quite a hint, not a hint, quite a lot of sadness really, because we know we're not going to get much more, if anything. And it was the last of Alistair Gray's Paradise, the last in his Dante's Divine trilogy. Um, he'd already put out Hell and Purgatory. Um, they're fantastic. Oh, what a beautiful thing. I mean, they're, they're all three of them are absolutely gorgeous. It's his take, as I say, on Dante's Divine Trilogy. I was very lucky uh, in the short period that I did some work with him that he had just started this. And he, he oh. went to me one morning in uh, his kitchen. He says, no, I don't want to do um, whatever we were supposed to be doing, which was some <laughs> editing work for all me and others. He said, well, would you like to hear my Dante's? And he just read for about two hours. It was incredible. And oh, very man. Alistair Gray undertaking on uh, this classical tale. You know, there was lots of farts and trousers falling down and things like that, you know. Um, yeah, it was you know. It's a lovely memory. And it's a, yeah, there's a lot of Alistair Gray, I should say, because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up in 2021. And one of the things which is, is a celebration of Lanark, because it's 40 years, years of Lanark um, in February. And right. there's going to be all sorts of celebrations next year um, commemorating Alistair and, and particularly Lanark, including, I'm hoping, a whole load of podcasts that um, will be coming out uh, with various people. Uh, what you, that you will be doing? Well, um, I can't say too much about it, but right. uh, there'll be, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when we can see <laughs> Just keep keep them peeled, people. So is twenty twenty one going to be the year of grey? Hopefully, it'll be the year of hopefully it'll be the year of grey again. Lots of things planned, um, which I will hope uh, won't have to be postponed. But um, yeah, there'll still be lots of stuff, particularly round about um, a I can't remember the exact date in February, but that's the date of of Lanark's publication. There'll be lots of stuff happening that day and in and around it. Yeah, I mean, um, my, my confession is, is that Lanark is the only Alistair Grey book that I've read, which I know is shocking. <laughs> so I, I might make 2021 the year of Grey and, and um, reread Lanark. And... Well, if you're going to only read one, it's not a bad place to, to yeah. go. <laughs> um, I'd also like to mention, uh, that this is the first publication that they put out, but it's The Common Breath. This was um, a good listeners, which was Brian Hamill, who is one of the people who runs Common Breath and uh, alongside Alan Warner, and it's three stories from each. And it's a lovely little collection, but it leads me on to talk about the good, good work that Common Breath are doing. And they're gonna be publishing James Kelman. They're looking back to republish kind of lost uh, cult texts. Yeah, I've got one. There you are, Waiting for <laughs> Nothing, the Tom Cromer book. And uh, they're going to do new collections of people work. They're working with Duncan McLean. Oh, great to some, some Duncan McLean. And um, Brian uh, and uh, everyone else involved with uh, Common Breath is just doing incredible work. The stuff they do during the week on the website, their Fiction yeah. Fridays, um, which I know you and myself have been involved in, where they ask people kind of questions about books and uh, all sorts of stuff there. Uh, it's an amazing undertaking. They've been a real highlight of the year, I would say. I, I completely agree with you. For, uh, Friday fiction is sort of, it's like, it's like how you, so you measure the week, really. It's like, yes, oh, Friday, at the end of the week. And then, you know, you're, you're getting on with your work, but you're just like, 
but I'm just going to go online and find Friday fiction and have a wee read of, of what people are talking about in that. I, I love Friday fiction, but I do love Common Breath as well. I think for in such a short space of time and considering that it's a part-time project because, you yeah. know, um, it's not a full-time job or anything, what, the, what they've managed to do, and not only publishing books, but creating a brilliant online community for chatting about literature and chatting about art that means a lot to you I, I, I just I think they're, they're they're excellent there is never there is never a dull conversation starter that comes from the common breath they just all the time they just want to hear what people are reading what people are thinking about they they tweet about music they tweet about films and everybody joins in and and so it feels like common breath have sort of created a community and Absolutely. yeah and I think it's um, a lot of publishers should take note of how you do that because they've done it spectacularly well. They're, they're searching. They're, they're, it's in, it's you know like from from good listeners to be working with Alan Warner straight away to be working with James Kelman as they're doing. So they're taking these established writers, encouraging brand new writers to get send yeah. stuff in or unpublished writers to send the stuff in and bringing these people together and having no judgment about one or the other. It's like, you know, are you want to be involved? Then get involved. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, so I'm, I, Custom, yeah. I think, is who helps them. Because um, yeah. Common Breath is just fantastic. I can't wait to see what else they do because everything that they've done so far is... Tip top, tip top. <laughs> uh, a book I'd like to talk about, which won't be for everyone, but I really uh, enjoyed it, uh, was The Literary Politics of Scottish Devolution. Now, it's an uh, academic book by Scott Hames, who works at uh, University of Stirling, um, and it goes looks to how literature and the kind of formation of stuff in the 50s and 60s and then fed into the move to the push for devolution and, and perhaps the failure of devolution first time round. Um, lots of facts in, uh, in there along with the fiction. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a, a heavy and hardcore, but if you're at all interested in the politics of literature and, and the politics of Scotland, then Scott Haynes, The politi Literary Politics of Scottish Devolution is a good read. If you know someone who is like, you know, that's the kind of thing they would like for Christmas, then you know, it's perfect. <laughs> Think there will be you know I really do because, because it's all it's not it, it's about how they intersect and, and influence each other as well so it's, it's not just um yeah so it's it's interesting for those who are interested in history politics literature culture yeah. it, all, all those all the ways that those um intersect with each other and it looks at the kind of history of Scottish literary magazines uh you know going way back when they all seem to be made within about three rooms in Edinburgh University the <laughs> 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 country uh which was quite interesting but uh, and all the people involved as well and some of whom went on to you know uh, be involved in publishing uh, in a much bigger way and writing in a much bigger way but um yeah, it's a fascinating read yeah is there anything you want to talk about coming up in 2021 before we round yes. up? 2020? <laughs> yes, there is. So I have two books, which they're only in proof form at the moment, but they are like, they are already my two picks for the books that I may love the most next year. And they are Jenny Fagan's Luck in Booth. 
So finally, I'm... finally. <laughs> I think we, we actually thought that this, we may, might have talked about this last year. We were looking we forward to it last year, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's coming out in January this year, and this I, I am so looking forward to this. Um, maybe before I start the Ali Smith project, I might read this one first because the Ali Smith project might take a wee bit. So <laughs> I want to I want to get stuck into this. And the other one is this one, which is Jackie Kay writing about the life and times of Bessie Smith, the pioneering blues singer. Yeah. Which I found, I only found out this week as a re-release. Seemingly, this was first published way back when. Oh. But um, yeah, so uh, I thought it was brand new, but it's not. But in Faber, it's Faber rather than our usual publisher, which is Picador, who are bringing this book out. And as a lover of um, old old music in all its forms, whether it be blues, rock and roll, whatever, and and Jackie Kay as well. I think this is going to be a marriage made in heaven. I mean, she did so well with trumpet. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm just, I'm full of anticipation in for, for reading this one as well. You've just reminded me, I forgot to talk about Stuart Cosgrove's Castle. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a great book too. It was Stuart. Great. And Stuart, if you're listening, I'm sorry we forgot, but we're mentioning it now. If you liked Stuart's um, trilogy is... Uh, a music trilogy, then you'll love Cassius X as well, because although it's about the young Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, and that period in his time when he was getting involved with the Nation of Islam, and he was running up to his fight against Sonny Liston, a lot of it is about music, and I don't know, I felt that Stuart was almost itching to write more about the music than he was maybe <laughs> the boxing, maybe that's being unfair, but I think, you know, the stuff with Sam Cooke, I would like to have known more almost about Sam oh. Yeah, I love Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke is one of my favourite human beings. I would like to read, uh, yeah, just a, a book about Sam. I should probably investigate. There probably is books about Sam Cooke, but that is definitely a story I would like to delve deep into because... Yes, you like write one for us if the... <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I'm done with the writing. I think my, my poor brain needs a rest. <laughs> Sam Cooke, 101. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I'm the one to write that book, but I would definitely read it if, if it came out. <laughs> well, Vicky, thanks so much for uh, talking to us, not just uh, today, but also on the previous podcast. And I hope um, that everyone at home will have found something uh, of interest to them. We tried we tried hard to give you something that will interest you. We, try, we, we were very sorry that we went on and on, but we were just so excited by all these books. Yeah, That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, could, so excited we couldn't squeeze it into one podcast. We <laughs> had to split it into two. Um, so, Vicky, you take care, and I'll hopefully see you soon. You too, yes. And uh, we'll be back soon with, I think, the best films of the year. Cheers. Cheers.